Hi, I'm Nicole Breeden. And I'm Kira Brekurek. And you're listening to ProPrac, a podcast where we explore the professional practice of artists and hear their stories. Today in the studio, we have Katie West. Katie West is a Yinjibandi woman with an interdisciplinary practice that explores the renewal of human connections with and within the natural environment. West was selected as the winner of the inaugural Dominic Merch Gallery slash Victorian College of the Arts Award in 2017 with her master's graduate exhibition piece, Mulugawan, Cool Time, Hot Time. In this ongoing work, the artist engages with natural dyeing processes and text scores as a way to participate with the seasons. Through these repeated processes, her work moves from memory to the realm of instruction or storytelling. Her installations grow with the seasons as quiet and powerful evocations of place. To begin, West dyes her fabric using plant material and an open fire in Mulu, or cool time. Following this, solar dyeing and sewing with the fabric and thread created in Mulu becomes the focus in Gawan, or hot time. Text scores serve to both document this process and guide the process again in future seasons. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio today, Katie. Thanks for inviting me. Um, would you mind starting off with sharing us uh, the story of how you became an artist? Sure. Um, I have to go back to the beginning, really. So mm-hmm. I grew up on a farm three hours north of Perth uh, near a little town called Bajingara um, on a wheat and sheep farm that then became um, a fish farm. So we farm silver perch fish in freshwater dams. I was brought up by my adoptive grandparents and um, also lived with my next youngest, younger brother. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so really life started out just knowing about the farm and the town of Bajingara <laughs> and the next town, which was Durian Bay. And so uh, our lives were really uh, tied up in the community, going to tennis and uh, being really involved in community theatre. As well. Um, Yeah, I spent a lot of time at rehearsals for plays and uh, my nan was really the leader of all of that. Um, And then just a lot of time spent playing on the farm as my granddad was working. So, um, yeah, we had a lot of of freedom. Um, So we could kind of walk in any direction as long as we let people know which direction we were going (laughs) in. We could just go and play and make cubby houses and do Mm. all sorts of things. Um, Yeah, so that was life until I was about 12 and then uh, a family friend suggested that I should go to school in Perth and um, I auditioned for a performing arts high school in Fremantle um, and got into a drama program. Um, So I was doing drama as much as I would English and maths and uh, that was really, really fun. Um, And, uh, yeah, then after that it it actually got to a funny point in year 12. It ended on a, like, not-so-good note Uh Um, and I ended up not uh, auditioning for WAPA, which was kind of the plan. Um, And, uh, yeah, I I got into art at ECU and... um, did that for three and a half years and, um, uh, yeah, had a really, really good time there. Uh, but I kind of went through that and then as I was developing what I actually wanted to think about in my work, 
Um, I was finding that I wanted to deal with social issues but really didn't have the language to articulate what I was thinking about. So when you were at art school, what subject or what area were you studying? Were you looking at photography? Was that your major? Or um, it was a it was a structure where we could try different things oh, and cool. then become more specific conceptually, like yeah, not right. to do with material. So yeah. um, I feel like that might have been a new thing they were trying with this uni, but mm. it was it was a good moment to be there. I think. Um, but what? Um, what kind of happened? I I failed for one of my electives. I failed photography, which, um, uh, yeah, as I tell my story, you will find is outrageous <laughs> that I would fail <laughs> photography. Um, but uh, so I ended up having to go back just for one unit mm-hmm. and doing photographic printmaking, mm. and it was it was amazing. Like I totally aced the unit and um, had a really great lecturer, uh, Paul Allman, who just. Um, really, really nurtured me. And Mm. um, so what I was doing in that class was um, uh, I worked a lot from uh, family photos. My nan was like um, really into photography and um, we have just the biggest collection of family photos, but it's also um, photos of like lightning, um, wildflowers, just things that she was interested in having a go of. Um, So I was drawing through all that and um, it was interesting to me as well because um, there were a lot of photos of my mum who was adopted by my grandparents. Um, So she was adopted in 69 Uh um, and taken from her mother. Um, So our family's actually from uh, Roeburn, um, an inland from Roeburn, which is in the Pilbara in Uh WA, so a lot further north. Um, So really I was kind of um, making sense of my family situation, but also um, kind of uh, as I was doing that, looking at those images alongside um, the images of Indigenous people related to like political movements. So, um, yeah, uh, looking through old Australian history books from the 70s and kind of collaging things together a little bit as well. Mm. Um, So I was really at a point of uh, kind of connecting dots like at that time, I didn't understand our family situation as being part of the stolen generations um, because mum, I didn't understand that people who were adopted were part of that history yeah. as well. So I I kind of thought we were, our situation was kind of unusual and um, not realising that... Uh, it was about social policies beyond our control. Um, so as I was, I, I got the opportunity to really go into this stuff and also get into a really beautiful flow with making work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really was like having your source material and then you just go for it and print uh, variation after variation and it was really yeah, just a great satisfying experience in that way. Mm. Um, But I guess after finishing art and going deep into that stuff, I 
kind of felt like I didn't really have the words to talk about that history. So I decided to go and study sociology. And um, that was, yeah, I, a really good decision um, because I was able to make sense of for myself how racism operates. Um, I came across the word transgenerational trauma, which was like a revelation, uh-huh. um, and to understand um, why um why mum wasn't there looking after me she was an alcoholic and um dealing with that um and to so to yeah be able to understand how uh just the bigger picture and where our family fits into it yeah did you go straight from art school into um studying sociology yeah yeah Yeah. both undergrad I don't know why yeah (laughs) (laughs) That's like yeah. a big study time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Um, were you also, while you were then studying, were you making as well, like continually, or did you kind of put it on hold for a moment? Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, I um, had was living with a friend who was an artist as well, and we would. So it was it was a nice kind of home environment. Mm. We were both working on our own things, and. Um, uh, yeah, so to be able to go to school, learn about all these concepts and then um, keep on going with my own little process with mm. family photos, it was, um, yeah, it was it worked really well. Yeah. Mm. So you were making it this time as well. Were you exhibiting in any ARIs or any spaces um, um, I, as well? I didn't have really many opportunities to exhibit. After, um, after uni, it's basically one exhibition. Mm. Um, which was kind of um, organised by my partner at the time and some just like our crew of people. Um, and it was called Australia Does Not Exist. Wow. It was at Curb Gallery, um, which oh, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, it was basically a little exhibition looking at Australian identity um, it was really at a time when that whole Australian nationalism was arcing up and we were getting quite worried about it. Mm. Um, yeah, so I exhibited those prints there. In uh, So prints on found fabric like doilies and tablecloths and things like that in a kind of um, a little um, uh, collection on the wall. Um, yeah, so that was kind of it. And uh, then... I guess a few years after that, a friend convinced me to apply for a studio with ArtSource um, and that was great. So I had a studio that I could just exist in and leave and then come back mm. and, um, uh, yeah, and then that also meant I was uh, around people that would say, oh, you should apply for this yeah, um, because I just – I just didn't put myself out there in that way. Um, so uh, Vanessa Russ, who's now the director of the Burnt Museum, and uh, Loretta Martella, um, they encouraged me to apply for um, for uh, Next Wave Festival's Kickstart program. Yeah. And, um, yeah, mm. I got to do that program, meet a lot of people here in Melbourne and from other parts of Australia and 
it was uh, such <laughs> such a huge eye opener to how much I was missing out on being in Perth. Um, I mean, and I don't mean to talk down about Perth at all because there is so much going on. But for for the kind of um, the issues I was dealing with, it like I I really didn't meet um, another artist of a similar age doing the same sort of thing. You, there's older artists that I could um, uh, speak to, but not someone the mm. same age. And I think that would have, um, that it just would have been different, I think. Um, yeah, so I I got to meet artists dealing straight up with decolonisation theory, mm. That to know that that was actually going on. Mm. Um, and uh yeah, to to be connected to that community. Was, yeah, um, cool. Mm. Did you relocate to Melbourne at that time as well? I I after? relocated. Yeah, I decided to relocate um, beginning of twenty sixteen. Yeah, it was kind of a thing of um, okay, Perth isn't quite working. There's people here in Melbourne that um, it makes sense to be around and. Um, so I applied to do a Master of Contemporary Art at BCA and got in and that was my ticket over here, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. Cool. Yeah. yeah, and you just recently graduated from that Master's, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. Amazing. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I suppose I'm quite interested in, um, like, going from doing that work that was about um, photography and, and mm. kind of image-based um, how did you how did you kind of step into doing more textile based um, artwork? Um, it's textile based the textile based I think it's actually always been there um, because I was printing onto fabric and found fabric uh, yeah I had a really funny thing of not being able to print onto a blank surface like I couldn't be a painter because you start with a often you start with a blank canvas. <laughs> it was a strange little thing. So I, I would collect fabric and then that would be my surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually the dyeing, um, it came, so I guess that tactility, I'm really interested in fabric in general. Um, and yeah, I think it, I think it is about a, dom- a domestic quality Mm-hmm. and familiarity mm-hmm. yeah like you've talked about um you know moving across to mm-hmm. Melbourne from Perth which yeah. must have been a pretty big move for you but um have there been any other um really big challenges that you've had to sort of overcome to continue practicing yeah um to to be really honest the biggest thing has been um just grief um and then that turning into uh, pretty chronic stress, actually. Um, so uh, about eight years ago, my mum passed away, but then two and a half weeks later, my adoptive nan passed away really suddenly. Mm. Um, so this was why, while I was studying sociology, actually. Um, yeah, so it was just like a really huge rupture um, and... Uh, kind of having um, uh, a family and then being part of, I think it's like general 
white Australian culture of, um, yeah, you have the funeral and then you just get on with it. Mm. Um, so I was kind of, um, yeah, I guess trying to deal with that grief but also trying to just keep on going with work and my practice. And um, I think it was it was all like, I mean, my practice was just mine <laughs> for many years um, until, you know, really the kickstart thing. Mm. So um, since uh, doing kickstart, being part of Next Wave Festival, and then suddenly people are watching <laughs> um, and getting asked to do more things, which is great, but then um, trying to figure out um, what is just for me and then what I'm okay to, to share as well. Um, and... Yeah, it is a bit of a tussle because I do feel like storytelling is really important, uh, but then it's also um, uh, in being an artist it can get caught up in other kind of agendas as well. Um, I've been, I guess, thinking a bit about this in terms of when you have an art practice that is really about the process and therapy, but then often you're asked to do an exhibition or if you get um, a particular lot of funding, it is about that final outcome. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, um, like honestly there's been a bit of a knot of trying to go um, like just sit with your practice and make sure it's doing what you need it to do and uh, um, kind of combating this brain this habit that would just be going I have to produce this work for this exhibition mm -hmm. um yeah 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 I think that's actually a really interesting point that you bring up that um I guess as artists that fall into all different kinds of categories of why they make work or what their work speaks to but for those who reference personal histories and family histories or um traumas that they've gone through it can that can be an incredibly taxing emotionally mm. while you're in the process of making and when yeah. you have outcomes that are needed to be done by a certain date or to hit certain selection criteria that you have been selected for, mm. it can be very hard to navigate um, or, you know, both fulfil those things while also taking care of yourself um, and making sure that your practice isn't kind of being harmed by yeah. these exterior things as well. Mm. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and I think it, that also happens to a lot of people who have their own body appear in their practice and mm. things like that, that it can be really hard to have those boundaries and um, and also, yeah, be pr protective so that um, mm. you either don't get taken advantage of or that, like, you are still able to, uh, oh, what's the word, like, I guess for want of a better word, like being, you know, the kind of art game or art business mm. um, and still get those opportunities without having to sacrifice. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's a very roundabout way of trying to say it. You mentioned stress. Mm. Um, have you found any practices or anything to kind of deal with like um, helping dissolve stress or like to deal with stress or to be able to maintain it so that you can keep having a healthy relationship with your practice? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I tend, I did 
try for a while to just push through it. And um, I, yeah, it's you can't do that. I couldn't do that anyway. And um, now what I'm really trying to do is really listen to my body. Um, so if I'm in a situation, like I really feel any stress in between my shoulder blades and it's like if that is if that is happening then this is a situation I need to reflect on and figure out why I'm reacting in this way because it's probably to do with something deeper mm. and um, kind of discern like can I see it for what it is and just understand it's a reaction because of this experience at this time and then once you know it's that you can deal with it um, or is it a situation, actually, this is not something I want to do at all. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave this situation. Mm -hmm. um, so really trying to get better at doing that. Um, yeah, and even uh, with the way I set up my working space too, uh, like I've come back from a holiday recently and gone to rejig my um, workspace and I've realised I don't want to be sitting at a desk. Um, I'm better mm. off, like I got a little fold-out table and I got a cushion and that's much better to sit if I need to do an, some admin because mm -hmm. I'm still kind of stretching out my body a bit and I'm not getting all like mm, crumpled up. That sort, of, yeah. that sort of thing which seems really simple um, or like a bit mundane but in <laughs> totally yeah it's, it's that kind of detail you need to focus on oh it's yeah. so great that's so I think that's really yeah mm. it's a really incredible thing and then um yeah thinking about certain things like light and how much time you need to spend outside a day yeah. and those yeah. kinds of things are really I would never have thought about those things when I was like in art school, like mm -hmm. that this is like no. a really important thing of a way to sustain my practice is like how much I have mm -hmm. to go outside for a walk every day. Otherwise I'm not going to be productive and things like that. And yeah, stress as well. I, um, I can get very, uh, not in between my shoulders, but my mm -hmm. neck. And it's like, I, I'm definitely a few steps behind you though. Cause I need to actually take action when I feel <laughs> it. I'm like, what? <laughs> Just keep like plowing away. <laughs> Yeah. days later I'm like why do I feel so terrible yeah. yeah I think um it's interesting when you move away from um like expecting your practice to be the thing that gives you you know your therapy or like is yeah. the thing that pushes you through but it's actually kind of like you actually need to do something else that helps you sustain mm. your practice it's like I think mm. I think when I was sort of just starting out I really expected art to be like the thing that would be the thing that gave me all my life but it's actually like I need to do all those other things to yeah. be able to continue to practice it's like a little bit of a mm, kind of switch a holistic thing yes yeah. yeah do you mind sharing with us what a successful practice means to you so I I feel successful when in those moments where I get to connect with like-minded or like spirited people um so in particular, I'm thinking of um, like connecting with Faye and De Evie. Um We just kind of click in the way we think and the way we want to work. And um, uh, 
you know, in to go from going to not really knowing anyone thinking about the same thing or handling it in the same way to meeting someone who you do gel with. I think that's what your practice is kind of about. Um, yeah, so being able to connect with others um, when you get to do that, I think that's a mark of success. On that, um, I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind speaking for a moment about your um, collaborative aspect of your practice just as well and they kind of from what as a audience it seems like they kind of interweave within mm-hmm. each other um, and collaboration is something that's very new to me and I'm I'm very mm-hmm. interested in maybe how you came about creating these collaborations or um, how you in terms of a professional practice aspect um how you go about sustaining these practices with another person as well. Yeah. As you're asking me that question, I'm reminded of an earlier self that would was would never it would never occur to me to collaborate <laughs> with another person and I was actually really nervous when Fan approached me to collaborate because I just kind of um I had this dread about it like oh we'll have a fight and it'll be terrible um (laughs) but um no we're I mean I think I think we're just good to each other and um I mean yeah Fayan just gives you space when you need it and um we'll give you a push when you need it (laughs) as well um actually when uh when I was at my most stressed and like kind of withdrawing, she was the one who would say, come on, we should do this. And, um, yeah, she's really helped me keep things going. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, I do kind of feel like, uh, with collaboration, I'm kind of reminded of drama improvisations. Mm. Like you just have to say yes. Yes and. <laughs> yes yeah. and, yeah. And it really is that um, you need to you need to keep the flow happening. Like even if you don't, you know, you might have a reaction that that's a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> but you, got, you have to listen and like yeah. you need to. And yeah. actually no idea is a stupid idea. I don't actually think that when Payen says things. Um, <laughs> but um, if an I you, you give the space to each other to articulate whatever's in your head and you get to digest it and then move mm, through to mm. the next development of mm. it. Um, yeah, I think it's that kind of simple. Do you have certain roles that each of you play within the collaboration? Does like one of you take over certain aspects of the um, practice, or another do something else? Yeah, it. it um, I mean, I probably feel like Fayan does more, but <laughs> um, uh, she's Fayan is excellent at writing mm. and just knows how to just do it quickly and well. So. Um, yeah, she does kind of take charge of that. And um, uh, I guess when in, in other situations when I've um, stepped in, it's been um, like doing the performance work uh, when that comes up or, yeah, um, 
I don't know. It's just working working together. I don't know if we yeah. really highlight specific roles. Um, yeah, I, mm. I think it's really nice though with that thing. It, it's also it's the yes and, but it, it's mm. also that thing of like they can reflect to you what you're actually really good at, and you you might not see yeah. within yourself yeah. as a strength. And um, totally, that's really nice. I've been collaborating with um, well, obviously Nicole on the podcast, um, but also. <laughs> Um, Hannah Raisin and um, she's definitely the cake maker out of us like she <laughs> she, she bakes and brings a cake to the table every time, <laughs> which is great because I can't bake but no she she has other aspects as well but then she will remind things with um, to me about my own practice um, or about strengths that I have which is really yeah. nice and it's it's sometimes something that we don't hear when we're working solo mm-hmm. um, that you know, like someone being like, oh, you're really good at this. Can you look after that? And you're like, oh, am I? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could uh, give us a rundown of uh, a week in the life of Katie West, (laughs) uh, we would love to hear what a a typical day or week um, looks like for you. Well, I feel (laughs) I don't know that – I guess there are typical days and weeks, but I don't know if um, the way I work is particularly coherent or consistent. Um, I I mean, and yeah, it actually has to do a lot with kind of going through a phase of a lot of stress and the grief thing. But um, yeah, uh, being kind of on the other side of that stuff, um, I'm kind of realising that uh, I'm actually going back and thinking about how I used to be when I was being creative when I was a kid and how I used to work when I was in undergrad visual art as well. Um, So when I was a kid, if I was uh, doing a drawing, painting or whatever, I would just start it and not stop until it was done um so thinking about that as well even if it took like hours and hours and hours and hours and I just sat in the same position for a very long time um and also uh finding that I really have to understand what everything I have to do as a web and how it all connects to each other um and then once I understand the web plot through everything I need to do and be really detailed about it. Mm. Um, Otherwise things slip through the net. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, kind of putting those systems (laughs) in place. Um, But to be honest, like there's a lot of procrastinating and um, uh, like getting sidetracked by um, housework and all of that, which, um, you know, is important. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a neat routine. It's always a bit of a work in, in progress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a studio located um, like inside your house or away from your house? Or? It's in my house at yeah. the moment, um, which has taken some, some getting used to um and uh yeah so it's kind of um 
I mean, some some weeks I just need to leave the house to work. Um, so I'll go to a library and for that thinking space and writing space admin stuff. Yeah. Um, and then other times um, I really do want to be a homebody and I, I use that space. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Do you think you prefer to have your studio at home or do you prefer working outside uh, of home? I think um, I know if if I had the ideal studio, if it was in my backyard, that would be awesome. <laughs> but at, at the moment, it's just like the biggest bedroom in the house and it's not, not ideal for, for what I want to do. Yeah. But I mean, um, at the moment in, with my living circumstances, it's, um, it's back and forth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you find that you, you know, spend, um, a portion of every day kind of in, in the studio or is it sort of much more kind of random than that? Um, it's a, it's a bit more random than mm -hmm. that. And I have to do it in, um, yeah, um, sometimes life takes me to uh, like quite away from <laughs> from the art stuff yeah. and then um, I'll come back to it and mm. kind of, yeah, try to immerse in it, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and do you find like admin is something that gets in the way of your a life little, a A lot. little <laughs> bit. Um, I mean, I think I'm getting better at it but... Um, it's, uh, yeah, actually this is one of the reaction things I'm kind of trying to deal with of um, can you write a bio and then I go, oh, what do I do? Um, but in actual fact I've written many and I got a heap of different versions on my computer to go back to. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, um, I, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing of whenever you're asked to do something suddenly and having mm -hmm. a little... Yeah. Mm. Do you have any um, daily practices or anything that you do um, for either like creatively or for any like well-being or anything like that? Um, yeah, I I I knit Ooh. a bit. Yeah, um, and I I find that really useful because it's just about your hands and. Um, like listening to a podcast and knitting is really nice. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, when I do get around to being in my garden, just weeding and getting into that flow and planting things and whatever, it, I really, really enjoy that. Yeah, cool. um, yeah. So what have been some of the um, more influential resources that have influenced your practice over the years? So... I think number one would have to be Next Wave Festival. That has been a massive game changer. Um, uh, yeah, if if I didn't have that opportunity, I probably wouldn't have made the leap to put myself out there. Um, so that's been that's been huge. Again, I guess my collaboration with Fayen as well. Just calling that a resource doesn't seem right, but it, you you know, uh, mm. yeah. A source of support. Yeah. Um, that is totally it. Um, yeah. Mm. Has there been any books or other kind of resources that um, you have been turning to recently? Um, I, I go back to a podcast called Close Knit 
by Annie Lee. Annie Lee. Um, and it's a textiles and fibre art podcast. Cool. Um, and it's it's um, it's kind of like a happy place. It's really warm and fuzzy. It's just asking um, artists about their lives and their work, um, the process of setting up a business or the process of um, uh, processing a particular fibre, um, all the ethics around uh, where these things, particular materials come from, how to share them in the world. Um, and, yeah, I find that super useful because it's looking at uh, creative practices but um, it's also not quite related to the contemporary art thing that I'm mm. doing and it really gets back to the heart of why you go about making um, I feel like it's um, it's always conversations that really feel rooted in this thing of making is it just a human thing um, and often people are, are talking about things like um, uh, how they discovered knitting um, and after some traumatic event and this is what was a this was a grounding thing to do. Um, yeah, it just really, really wholesome sort of stories. Mm, cool. Mm. Is that an Australian-based podcast? Um, well, kind of. She She's American okay. but um, was living in Hobart, I think, ah. for a while. And I think she started the podcast there and now she's back in the States. Okay, cool. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sounds good. I need yeah. to listen. Yeah. Mm. Um, in terms of the materials that you use in your work, do you, mm. is there any resources like that you use to research um, oh. that a lot? Or I I feel like um, that is a whole project in itself, and um, I mean I use uh, calico um, because you know it's a rough cotton. Um, there's a word for it in. Um, in Yunjabandi language, my mother's language, um, and it it feels relevant to our history. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but actually, in in the whole swing of trying to make work for shows, I've been really bad when it comes to like haven't really been sticking to my own my guns with where I want to get my materials from um kind of I do feel like I need to work a bit more on insisting that I'm going to use found material um like I I do have a big bundle of calico and I'm going to use that until it's gone but I and I feel like we're at a point in this world that we really need to take drastic action in how we consume things um, which which really is at odds with the way the art world is still operating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm um, I'm not gonna beat myself up about <laughs> buying this um, bunch of calico, but after it's gone, um, yeah, and and the silk as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so many, um, yeah. 
silk is like horrific <laughs> to use, but um, it's it's a material that um, I knew how to use mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so I've been using it, but um, yeah, it, I'm really wanting to um, do do a research project basically mm-hmm. into where these materials come from, their history. I know they're tangled up with colonial histories as well. Um, uh, so to understand that and then begin to make decisions about how you do mm. um, how you do work as a fibre artist when you kind of, I do feel like it, we need to start from square one where materials come from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Amazing. That's a, also a question I come to a lot in my practice about like what um, – in terms of sustainability and ethics around like making a product mm-hmm. and putting something out mm-hmm. there in the world like mm-hmm. as an yeah. art maker and it's mm-hmm. like yeah. what is my role and what is my responsibility mm-hmm. um, and how to minimise mm-hmm. that, yeah. Um, and the pace of how you work mm-hmm. too, like churning something out in a few months, mm-hmm. that's not sustainable for many mm. practices like I mean it's been made all of these processes have been made quicker yeah but mm. and so you just do it without thinking but well it's you know yeah. and then it's outsourcing like, as well but it yeah. is but yeah. I mean that using using already like pre-prepared materials it mm. is outsourcing like a yeah. huge portion of the actual you mm. know creative aspect of the work like my my yeah. practice uses quite a lot of um well in the past used quite a lot of like um materials which reference kind of art history so and you know a lot of those materials have really troubling yeah kind of you know backstories like you know stone and and different kinds of wood and Mm -hmm. like they're all imported and it's it's yeah Yeah. it's a it's a mess but it's something definitely um I think which will be more and more important as we go on so we might just finish on um if you could travel back in time um, and tell younger Katie <laughs> any advice or um, maybe when you were at high school or just entering art school, if you had any advice about the, the art world. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, well, really I think the advice, and I, I still kind of go back to it as well, um, don't hold yourself in. Uh, I think it would have been really useful for my younger self to hear that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I'm thinking in particular of uh, like when other people at uni were going to volunteer at Pika or Agua, I just didn't because I didn't think I had this thing like I wasn't allowed to. Um, so, yeah, I think I would say you're allowed to go for these opportunities and also you're allowed to apply for grants and uh, you should be able to f- feel you can do that at any stage of your practice, like any any mm-hmm. stage. Um, yeah, I, I do feel sometimes like what's, what's valuable in terms of what's a valuable creative practice really does need to be broadened. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Great. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Katie, for coming in today and sharing this with us. No worries. It was a pleasure. Thanks. <laughs>
This episode is recorded on the sovereign land of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people, and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for listening to ProPrac. You can listen to other episodes and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can stay up to date with what we're up to on Instagram at ProPrac Podcast or send us an email at ProPracPod at gmail.com.